Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care the Podcast with me, Stephen Black, as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs in all walks of life. Today, joining us on the show to tell her story and um, share some insight is a friend of a friend that I have met through uh, some MK groups online, uh, Linda Kelly. So, to get the show started, Linda, I wanted to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Most specifically, where are you from? I'm from Pennsylvania. I was born in Titusville, Pennsylvania. That was a solid, strong answer. You've you've answered that question before, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> nice. And then where all did you grow up? Um, we went to the Bahama Islands when I was 11 years old for a summer. Mom and Dad filled in for a missionary that was sick. And that's where I learned how much I love caring for neglected children. Then when I was 13 years old, they took me, to, my brothers and me, to the other side of the world, Papua New Guinea. Hmm. And how long were you in Papua New Guinea? The next 25 years, most of the time. Um, wow. And that's where I learned how much I love languages. I didn't know before that, that. <laughs> languages were my forte so after I'd been there six months I was translating for my mom and dad into the native language plus we also had a medium called pidgin English Melanesian pidgin which I learned on the ship going over and just took a couple of weeks to be fluent in it there on the islands of Papua New Guinea mm -hmm. so what kind of languages did you get to learn uh, in Papua New Guinea I learned three different languages and some of the dialects related to them. In fact, the first language I learned was Imbungu. And uh, one of the highlights of my missionary life, especially my childhood, was one, one night I was sitting on a bench in the living room playing my accordion and I heard a knock at the door. And we never, nobody ever knocked on our door. We were way out in the bush at the foot of Mount Gillowy, and the New Guinea people don't knock. They just cough at your door. So I thought, who on earth could be knocking? And I opened the door in the darkness to two white women, one from America and one from Australia. And they had walked 15 miles through the mud and rain and dirt, and they were very dirty, very cold, because we were up at the foot of Mount Gillowy. And uh, they hadn't been that high in their altitude where they'd come from. And they, that, they were God's gift to me. The Australian woman became my mentor. I was um, either 14 or 15 when she asked me to come to her mission station to teach the language to all the missionaries there. They were all adults and they had been there much longer than I, but... Uh, and. To my surprise, my mother let my parents let me do it. I know Daddy would have let me do it, but I was amazed that Mom let me go and do it. And that was the highlight of my teen years there. Hmm. That's very cool. It's cool to hear that the highlight of your teen years was using one of your strengths and your natural gifts to help other people. And it sounds like that opportunity was really facilitated by the fact that not only did you have this gift for learning languages, but you were in a place where you could learn other languages. And you had yeah. a community that really needed that asset. So, yeah, yeah, that's very yes. cool. Yeah, it was very fulfilling and wonderful. Yeah. Still, 
still a very meaningful part of my, and wherever I go. Last year in Jerusalem and uh, Israel, Netanya, I got to say the Lord's Prayer in Hebrew to different people. And I can't tell you what it means when you speak their language. It was a Russian lady, two Russian ladies that asked me to do it. And I first said it in Russian with them. And then I said it in Hebrew, and they hadn't known that it was in Hebrew. And they'd lived in Israel for years, so that was their second language. And I, I just find languages so such a blessing to connect with people. When I sit in Greece, Thessaloniki, Greece, in the church there, and they put the songs on, in Greek on the screen, and I sing in Greek, it seems like I'm in heaven. It just seems, I can't wait. I just feel like it's <laughs> heaven below to worship and sing in Greece. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you still have any of your um, Papua New Guinean languages from your childhood? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could share something with us? I, I just asked because I know that uh, there are going to be listeners to this podcast who uh, may know some of the languages that you speak, and I think it'd be really cool if uh, you could share with them. Okay. Um, the Lord's Prayer in Imbungu is Glinyonga Aranuogravanamorno, Nunge Imbiogamogopiri, Nunge Tagabiopiri, Nunge Konapun Ebenaterno Minantayamiri, Kataklangi Kongonamanda di Gotendivio, Ukupuka Kedi Teramogoma, Kumakanako Kondoko Goyo, Itsipoimbo Gurupiglinion, Ukupuka Kedi Teramedlima, Akumakanako Kondoko Romogo. Amen. Amen. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. I, because, thank you for letting me say that. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Because we're doing a video conference, I can see your face and kind of follow along with the expressions of you know the language but other than that you know i would have been i would have been lost that is sounds like a very multisyllabic language has some sounds in it that we don't have in english yeah and they are they are fricative l's and velar l's and if you just say flapped l like we have in english they say you're just talking baby talk <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> so you've already shared some of the um some of the highlights of you know, your experience growing up as far as um, learning languages, not only in Papua New Guinea, but um, learning languages all over the world and, you know, Israel and Greece and um, being able to share that with different people. Um, and it sounds like that's something that's continued throughout your life, not just something that was limited to your childhood in Papua New Guinea. So that's really cool. Yes, I went to Ukraine to teach three different years in a row in the 90s. And, um, I studied Russian for three years, so that helped me. And when I, I taught Greek over there, so I made a Greek to English to Russian like uh, lexicon for my students because there wasn't one in those mm. three languages. Mm -hmm. And Linda, I wanted to ask, uh, what have been some of the challenges or difficulties that you've experienced as a TCK? Well... As I told you, when I was um, in the Bahamas, I learned to learned how much I love taking care of neglected children. And when we went to Papua New Guinea when I was 13, 
um, two of the single missionaries, la missionary ladies on the station that we went to until we were ready to go to the bush on our own. Uh, each had a baby they were taking care of, an orphan baby. And I couldn't wait till we got one. And within a month, we, we hadn't been there a month yet when my mom came home from the clinic carrying a baby whose mother had died a month before. She was skin and bone. She was dying. She had only two teeth, but she had a bean clasped in each of her two little fists. And um, beans had gone through her without a single teeth mark on them. And she became my special charge. Uh, all of us loved her. That first night was terrible. She was scared to death of us. And um, one night she was crying all the time, and she so skinny and to be crying so and she was afraid of the bottle she was hungry she was starving but she was afraid of the bottle and uh, mom set me to giving her a bath and she went to the other ladies missionary ladies to get some diapers and clothes that they had finished with and and uh, so I was bathing her and she stopped crying when I was soaking her little arms and skinny little legs and her head her head was covered with pig grease. They put pig grease on the soft spots of their babies so that um, the spirits can't enter there and kill them. That's their belief. And uh, I couldn't get then any of that black off of her head. And my brother came in, my little brother came in while I was doing it and said, why don't you wash her head, Linda? And I said, I, I've tried, I can't get that off. But anyway, um, the fact that she stopped crying and while I massaged her little cold little arms and legs in that warm water just just bonded me to her right then. Well, she learned to walk and talk and, and uh, she grew fat and healthy and we were up in the mission station alone and uh, we had five orphans at this time and mom just couldn't get enough sleep. Mom was working so hard, teaching in the morning, nursing in the afternoon, and doing so many things. And uh, she wasn't getting enough sleep. So she said, would I take care of an orphanage if, would I live in, the, in an orphanage with the babies, with the children, if um, they built one for me? And I said, sure, so that mom could get more sleep. So they had built this orphanage for me, but before we went, before I moved down there, Mom said she was giving me a rule that I couldn't take the babies to bed with me. I had to get up and take care of them in their bed and come back. But one night, Jeannie, we knew Jeannie had whooping cough. And one night I got up with her so many times I couldn't, um, just felt like I didn't have the strength to get up again. So I took her back to my bedroom because I didn't want to leave her crying. And... Uh, I laid her down beside me, and she turned. I had a. I was on an air mattress, and uh, I laid her. I fixed a little pallet for her on the other side of the air mattress, and laid her down there. And, and she turned over on her tummy and went to sleep. And a little bit later, she was saying, "Ah, ah, ah," and I uh, said, "Jeannie, I'll have to put you back in your bed if you don't be quiet." And uh, she didn't stop it, so I got up to put her back, and I saw that her diaper pin was open. And I 
I, I think I started crying anyway. I apologized to her and I re-diapered her and, and laid her down beside me again and and we both went to sleep and in the morning she was still sleeping I thought so I ran up to my house for, for my parents house for breakfast and I said to my mother uh, Jeannie didn't drink, eat any sweet potatoes last night she only drank let me feed her the broth and uh, mom said well bring her up before I go out to the doctor I will see if uh, her throat's swollen and I went down to get her. My mom was very sick. Her knees were so swollen she couldn't walk. She was, um, dad and my older brother were carrying her back and forth to bed and to the table to eat. And uh, we didn't know what it was. Anyway, we had sent word. We didn't have a vehicle. We had sent word to the government station with, with a medical orderly come and get mom. And so they were coming, they said they would come on this morning. So mom told me to run down and get Jeannie. So I went and picked her up and her face looked dark. And I laid her down on my air mattress and I screamed for Wami Ambo, my little friend that helped me in the orphanage who, who didn't have her, she was fatherless, her mother was alive. And uh, Wami Ambo came into my bedroom and just looked at Jeannie and put her hands over her face and started crying. And I ran out of the orphanage screaming, Jeannie's dead, Jeannie's dead. My dad still had his leg in a cast. He had broken his leg um, cutting trees in Pleasantville, Pennsylvania, in the woods there. And uh, he took Jeannie in his arms and he went running back to the house to my mother where she started artificial respiration. But because Daddy was was uh, limping so badly, his the arms and legs and head of little Jeannie were flopping. It was so tragic looking at that. And uh, my mom didn't allow, well, they gave her artificial respiration for maybe two hours. My brother and my mom took turns and uh, once I thought I saw her hand move, but, and I thought, she's alive, she's coming back. But then the medical orderly arrived from the government station in the vehicle to get mom, and he said, stop it, she's gone. Stop it. I was angry at that man. But he took mom and he left, and we prepared Jeannie. I, I had to bathe her and dress her and comb her hair, and that was the hardest part because she hated to have her hair combed, kinky hair, you know, it hurts when it's combed. I mean, the head hurts, the skull hurts. So, and I, I cried, of course, cried and cried. Every night I cried myself to sleep. Mom didn't allow girls to cry. She said the girls cried to manipulate. So I never cried in front of my mother when she came back. And uh, she was gone at least a whole week. Anyway, we buried Jeannie. And uh, Dad and, and my brother built her little coffin. And we buried her at the head of the church, at the outside of the... And 
for years, five years, or four, four more years, I cried myself to sleep till I was 18 years old. She was, I was 14 when she passed away. She was probably 15 months when she died. She had, Wami Ambo had taught her to call me mommy, and she would run and hide and call mommy, and I would run and find her and grab her up, and we had so much fun playing games together and loving each other. When I, when I couldn't please my mother, I was working hard. I was teaching teenagers my age to read and write, and I was doing my own school in the morning, teaching teenagers in the afternoon with my brother and, and uh, translating for mom in the clinic during the noon hour and doing everything I knew to please mom, but I couldn't please her. And uh, I would take Jeannie off into the tall kunai grass where nobody could see us and sit her on my lap and tell her that I couldn't make mom happy. And mom used to spank her all the time when she cried at meals. And uh, so she, she and I had that bond together when we couldn't please my mother. We just went off and Sometimes I had to leave the table, couldn't eat because Mom was spanking Jeannie. That was before we went into the orphanage. But anyway, um, when I was 18, I learned to memorize poetry in bed at night. I wasn't supposed to turn on a flashlight at night, but I would turn it on just when I was 18. I figured I was an adult. I could do what I wanted. And I turned it on at night long enough to read a verse of a poem. And I'd memorize 23 poems and would say them in, until I'd fall asleep. And I'd fall asleep without crying. And I got over the headaches that I'd had. And I realized they were from me trying to cry silently at night. But um, <clears throat> two years ago, 2017, in July, I met a woman who had been a missionary in different Asian countries, and uh, she was telling me about something hard that her sister was going through, losing her children. And I didn't see her for a week after camp meeting was over, and during that time I could hardly eat thinking about this girl, woman, who had lost her children. And uh, so the next time she came to a camp meeting here in Eaton Rapids, Michigan, where I live, and I said to her, how can you cope? I'm fasting and praying for your sister. How do you cope and how does she cope? I said, I lost one baby in New Guinea, and I still mourn her. And uh, this woman said to me, do you have a safe place? And I said, oh, yeah. I know how to crawl into Jesus' lap and put my head on his shoulder, put my heart over his heart and feel his heartbeat and tell him what's wearing me, what's bothering me. And she said, well, get in your safe place and ask Jesus where he was when Jeannie died. I couldn't wait to go to bed that night I, because that's where I always did this. And so when I went to bed, before I got to say, Jesus, where were you? I saw him. I saw myself at 14 years of age. Now I'm 71 when this happened. But I saw myself at 14 reaching across that air mattress, picking up my baby and laying her down there on my air mattress, and I realized Jesus was standing beside me, and I knew he was holding Jeannie, 
I turned and looked at him, and I, he said to me, I'm going to take care of her for a little while. And then without words, he showed me from God's perspective. God wanted us to stay on the mission field. And I didn't know it then, but the next, uh, about 15 months later, we were going to move to a new language area. We went and had an orphanage. And, uh, and he said that Jeannie was too much for Mom with her crying. It made Mom too nervous. And uh, he showed me what the people, what the New Guinea people thought about Mom's bank and Jeannie. The people were always watching in the windows. And they said it's wrong to spank a child. If you get mad at a child, you might beat him over the head with a stick. And if you spill his blood, then you have to pay. But they didn't understand systematic discipline. And so they didn't understand mom. So it was going to ruin our ministry. And so I just thank God. Thank God that he took Jeannie. Thank God that Jeannie's with him. I wanted to look down at Jeannie to see if she was sleeping or if her eyes were open, if she was looking at Jesus. But I couldn't take my eyes from his face. My eyes were just glued to his face. So I, I didn't ever learn. But then he turned. I didn't learn whether her eyes were open or if she was asleep. But then he turned and went out the door with my dad. And he walked up beside Daddy. Daddy was jogging, running on the cast and limping, but Jeannie was safe and quiet in Jesus' arms. And they walked up there together to my parents' house. And that was the last I saw. Now I can't remember what Jesus' face looked like, but I just know that I could not take my eyes from his face. So, it's amazing. It's amazing what Jesus can do for us. And I didn't know I could have asked that sooner. Maybe I wasn't ready to. Man, what a what a powerful story and what intense feelings um, that you've uh, that you've experienced. You know, there's such an awfully lot of responsibility for a 14 year old to take care of these orphans on her own and um, to stay up every night when they get sick and to um, just to experience um, this child passing away losing not only not only your ward but also you know your friend um. may I say something in in defense of my mother since I've told you these bad things <laughs> yes of course she had a terrible childhood her mm -hmm. mother was um, paranoid Par mm. had paranoia paranoid schizophrenic and uh, and left the kids, left her five children many times during their childhood. My mother was in an orphanage five different times, three different orphanages, five different times of her childhood until the money that her father had given ran out and then he would be called to get them out again. And um, she had terrible memories. When she was eight years old, her grandfather died and her grandmother, her father's mother, took them into her home and her son back, and from 8 to 13, mom was the middle child, two older sisters, two younger brothers, and loved by her grandmother. And when other when the other kids would leave to go do something, she would always stay home with grandma, 
and her grandmother wanted her to inherit her property and especially her apple orchard which we tried to buy after grandpa's grandpa died but we weren't able to, my husband and I weren't able to procure it she'd already sold it so but anyway um, my mom suffered terribly when she was 13 and her grandmother died she went to live with her mother and um, she'd had a chance to be adopted by relatives that would have brought her up right but they said she had to break contact with her siblings and her mother's family she wasn't willing to do that so she went to live with her mother and that mother would often lock the three of the girls out on the street at night if when they got home they couldn't get in and they'd have to go sleep at the Salvation Army and mom wasn't wanted when she was born she was the third daughter and her mother said if it's a girl I don't want it and uh, the doctor said she's a cutie can I have her but they that didn't happen and and mom remembers as a toddler when her brother was born she remembers her mother sitting on the floor playing with that brother so she had the feeling that boys were worthwhile but mm. girls weren't yeah and uh, fortunately I've always wished I had a sister but just recently I thank God I didn't because one girl was more than mom could mother mm. but um, I had three brothers one went to be with the Lord six hours after he was born but the other two went to New Guinea with me and uh, my older brother that I when mom told me to teach the teenagers myself if I wanted them to learn I didn't think I could take on boys teenage boys at my age so I went to my older brother and said would you teach them to count in English and to add and subtract if I taught them to read and write in their language and Jerry didn't like school like I did but he said yes he would do that and the kindest big brother there ever was so um, and we never had one behavioral problem we taught for two years we taught those young people and nobody ever gave us any problem those boys I've taught delinquent boys here in America and they're a hard job to teach but those boys just were so happy to have a chance to learn they never gave Jerry or me any problems mm. and that was God's doing too you know mm. my parents including us in the work it was so important mm. yeah one mistake I think mom made was I only had 12 books that I was allowed to take with me and of Green Gables series and a few others and uh, I was reading them over so many times that as an escape to get away from the sadness of girls being sold in marriage younger than me and dying in childbirth and all those things you know and uh, but back to mom um, yeah she said you can't read that much fiction once you've read a book in fiction you have to read one of our Bible school uh, textbooks and it would take me forever to get through those textbooks and so I didn't have that escape and I had what they thought was a nervous breakdown my first year back in America now I know that other MKs have a hard time adjusting to America but then I didn't know of such a thing and I thought I was just the oddball sure yeah yeah, reentry is reentry is difficult. Yes, or it can be anyway. So, Linda, with all the things that you've experienced in your life, you know the responsibility of um, t 
teaching and um, serving alongside your family overseas and um, losing Jeannie and um, not only that, but going back to the history of your your family and the things that they've experienced as well that has led to all this heartbreak and all this difficulty of trying to trying to be um, the best family that you can be and the best people that you can be and to love others and serve others when you have your own burdens to bear. Um, what would you say to other TCKs who resonate with some of the sadness in your story? Um, where do you find where do you find healing and growth? I had the mistaken idea that God was like my mother and that I couldn't please him. One night we had a lot of earth tremors in New Guinea and uh, tsunamis out on the coast, but we were in the heartland in the highlands. And uh, one night there was an earth tremor and I wakened on my air mattress and I felt like God was rocking me in my bed like a like a mother rocks a baby in a cradle and I thought God loves me I want to go to him and the next morning I said that and mom said Linda don't say that screamed it at me so I didn't say another word again but I had this this feeling in my heart one of the poems I memorized when I was 18 was the third verse of the love of God, the song. Could we ever think the ocean feel? You know that? Talking about the love of God. So I was searching. And when I was 16, I finished high school. And by uh, correspondence, and sadly, my brother failed his geometry test. So he, I graduated before he did. So that made, that was like a shame. And uh, he was two years older than I, and we did algebra and geometry together, most of, but we didn't take the test together. And American school, we were allowed to have open book tests, but my mom said, no, 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 you don't. You study just like for a test at home and in school in America, and you take your test without opening your book. So we did that. But um, anyway, I graduated when I was 16, and I... And mom and dad had said when we graduated, we could go back to America to go to Bible school. And uh, But then we both graduated two years before they were ready to go back. So mom said, three years into our term, and so mom said, uh, would you stay and help us? We need help so bad. You two are doing adults work. And uh, I said, I have to go on learning. And mom said, we figured that. And we were buying you a, a correspondence course from God's Bible School in Cincinnati. So for two years, I did that Bible school, those Bible school lessons in the morning before I began my work. I had been getting up since I was 16 at 4, four o'clock in the morning when my mom got up to pray. My mom went down to the retreat house that we had my brother and the New Guineans had built, and she prayed there, but I prayed in my bedroom. And then after Jerry built, my brother built this um, split-level home out of wood for us, and then I stopped having malaria every month. I used to get malaria so often. and uh, But once we were in a board house, like our houses, I uh, stopped getting malaria. 
and <clears throat> I'd get up at four in the morning and study my my um, subjects, and I learned so much about God. It was so wonderful. The life of Christ and the life of Paul were the two most outstanding books. They just helped me see so much about God. And my mom hadn't liked Paul because he said women shouldn't preach. But I found out I loved him in that book. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was just wonderful. So I'd say, yeah, involve your children in the work. Mm. But also realize that those, those sadnesses are awful hard for missionary kids to take. So help them to have a way of escape. If they like to read, don't take reading away from them. Mm-hmm. And then for, you know, Turning that on TCKs themselves, perhaps, perhaps TCKs who are grown up, um, take care of yourself, right, and um, do those things that give you joy and um, help you find escape when you need it, or or whatever it may be. Good word. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for coming and sharing your stories with us. Um, did you have any final thoughts or um, words of advice? Yeah, when there's sad things, I think you should talk them out as a family. Um, like my girlfriends told me that this polygamist wanted to marry me and he was talking to my dad about it and I looked over there and saw the man in the circle my dad sitting on the ground with this guy and they were talking and uh, I waited when we got home and nobody ever said anything about it my mom or my dad I did hear a few days later that mom had said there aren't enough pigs in the world to buy my daughter. But so I wondered, well but when they never said anything I did it I thought, you know, he hadn't about I, I had misunderstood. That was in my first year there and I thought maybe I didn't understand the language right. Anyway, um two two years ago I said to my little brother he, he turned 10 on the ship going over, and I was 13. I said to him, did you ever hear anybody besides our mother one time preach against bride price? And he said, oh, yes, Linda, when Kettle wanted to marry you, Yalomokoi, when he wanted to marry you, Dad gave him scripture, verse, chapter from the Bible and told him polygamy is wrong, bride price is wrong. And that was the first I knew. Here just two or three years ago, the last time my brother was up here to, um, yes, he told me that. So, you know, I think it would have been better if mom and dad would have talked that out with me and said, we won't allow that to happen. And uh, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's things that I wish that I had explained to my kids now. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's so important to talk things through as a family, and even when things are hard, and perhaps especially when things are hard, right? Um, it's so important to talk right. things through as a family. Exactly. And really, that um, that really draws, I think I think that draws families closer together because you're taking that, um, that scary thing or that sad thing and placing it outside the family and saying, we as a family are dealing with this together. We're standing together, and that thing is outside of us. Yeah. Yes. And then when if you if you don't talk about it, sometimes the sadness or the scariness can come between you and your family members to say, you know, we're not talking about this. We're just going to keep it inside the family 
um, in, you know, we're going to hold on to it separately and sit in our separate corners of reality and try to deal with this thing without talking about it. It just causes more problems than it solves. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for co- taking the time out of your day to come and share some uh, amazing stories with us on the podcast. It's really beautiful stories, and um, really appreciate and really appreciate hearing them. We're too soon old and too late smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so sorry, but I made mistakes too raising my children on the mission field. Sure. But at least, at least I wasn't critical like my mother. I had such a better childhood than she did. Mm. I had a wonderful, loving father. and Mom didn't treat him right, but he supported her enough. He understood her. And his last poem that he wrote was to her. Mm. And we have a video of him saying it to her. And I, I realized that he was supporting Mom and helping her, you know, to be able to stay on the mission field. So I say he bought New Guinea for me at a great price. And I just thank my father for the wonderful, godly man he was. Mm. Never struck back, never never criticized her because she criticized him. Just, just loved her. All right. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. You've been listening to TCK Care, the podcast, with me, Stephen Black, as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs. Hosting and producing TCK Care, the podcast, is a part of my ministry, which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week.